Again, I'm glad that each of you are here this morning. We had a little time to spend together and we think about several things as we worship together. Thankful we can have you that are online with us, sharing this time with us. It is still a challenging time. I look forward, and I hope very soon, to a time where we don't feel quite as inhibited as we do today. I've been saying that for a couple of years now, I guess, but I'm looking forward. I look forward to that, and I believe the day is coming. I'd like to believe it's very near. Title of the lesson this morning, God Sees. God Sees. And what does he see? God Sees. I was thinking about that song by the police. It says, basically, I see every move you make, every vow you take, every, every vow you break, you know. I see. I thought it was in, always been intriguing that it was the name of the group was the police and they see you. But anyway, that's another story altogether, isn't it? But it really goes back to something that we, we find in a couple of Old Testament examples, and then I want us to think about how God really sees us. That's where we're going this morning. For if we look at Genesis chapter 12, and looking at those first three verses, we read about something between God and Abraham. In the very beginning of the relationship that we read about, we read, now the Lord said to Abram, at that time his name was still Abram, Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I want to tie in another passage to that that might seem unrelated in a way. But I hope to bring it together. If, I, if we do this right, if I get it right today, then we'll pull these two together and see if we can't make some sense of it for you and me. And this one's in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, in a fairly lengthy passage where Samuel has come to the home of Jesse there to anoint a new king. And seeing the sons of Jesse, he thinks he's seen him in Eliab, the oldest, and makes his way down through these brothers, goes through all these brothers down, the seventh brother, and still hasn't found the king. And is there any more? Well, we've got one more. Verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, thinking of the eldest brother of David. For the Lord does not see as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, every so often in the quick trip store, two blocks from where I grew up from the time I was seven years old, my friends and I knew exactly when the new comic books would come in. And we would go and hide behind that circular rack and we would sit down there because we didn't have the money to buy them. But we always loved for them to come in. And the one that I always loved to, to read, first of all, was the Superman edition. And I want to say something about Superman because Superman had something going for him. He had a lot of things going for him, but he had X-ray vision. Superman had X-ray vision. Man. Now, it's probably not the most noticed of his abilities, but I think it's one that's kind of intriguing when you think about it. You know, if you're as old as I am and you remember the television series, you remember that he was faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Those were the things that stood out in the beginning. Poor George Reeves, but uh, 
Anyway, there have been a few incarnations of it since then. But the, the x-ray vision may not be the one that we notice the most about him, but there is something special about that particular ability. It's the idea to be able to see and recognize what's going on. Much like mothers always had eyes in the back of their head to see what their children were doing, when the, even when the children didn't believe they could see what they were doing, yet that was the case. Now, while Superman's vision might have been limited by lead and not being able to see it through it, that still that, eye, that vision was amazing. But what we need to tr translate it to, as amazed as we are at some fictitious character like that, is to recognize what God has. Because it can be difficult for us to realize that God does see us. We're used to our privacy, we're used to being able to keep things from others, seeing them and recognizing, revealing only what we wish to reveal, letting known what we want to make known to others and so forth, and being able to keep what we want to keep. Whether we're ashamed of what we do or we just have a, a humble nature, say, I really don't want people's eyes on me or something like that. I think we're used to being able to limit to some degree what we think, at least, people are seeing in us, aren't we? We, we kind of like that, that kind of thing. But when we think about God, there's nothing we can really keep from God. We don't sing it much anymore, but there is an old song that says, there's an all-seeing eye watching you. And that can seem to be a discomforting thing. And we might find some comfort, though, we should find some comfort, I should say, in knowing that God is watching us. Not discomfort, because he can see the things that we do wrong, but the comfort in knowing that he's there, he's watching us, and he's seeing about us. We have a God who sees us, and we need to know that his vision is not limited as he looks at us, as, as, he, as he longs for us, as he, he watches over us. And what we need to see above all, and this is where it's really going to go, is that he sees not only our present, but also our past, and not only our past, but God also sees our future. God sees what we can and will be. And as we look at those two main scriptures that I shared with you in the beginning a few moments ago, we learn a couple of those great lessons are entitled, are tied into them, and these men draw from that, that concept that God sees them, knows them far better than they would even begin to recognize before we see any action with Abram, God sees him. Before David is ever that great warrior and leader king, God sees him. And that's an important thing for us. So I'm going to tell you God sees what is. God sees what is. If we look at those texts, we see God sees Abram. He sees him as the head of a family while he has no children at this time. God sees him as the head of his family. He saw where he was. He saw what he was doing. Why he selects Abram, we don't really have any background to tell. We can only think that God sees in him that devotion, that connection, that relationship that he longs to have with others. We know that he pulls him out from among his family and says, get out from them. As he says, I want you to get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house. I want to do something with you. Abram was, was to be 
the head of his family. God saw him where he was, but he also saw what he longed for him to be if Abram was willing to do so. And then in David's case, the days of Saul were ending. Saul had served some purposes, but he was a failure in some respects. And we needed a different king. We need somebody who would lead the people in God's way. We needed someone who was not tied to his own ambitions, but to God's ambitions in life. We needed a man after God's own heart. And when Saul lost his relationship with God, God saw David. He saw that young shepherd, that young shepherd boy. He saw his heart. He saw his devotion. He saw his compassion. He saw his courage. And he longed to put him in the place that he he was. And God saw him right, didn't he? For God saw that that young valiant warrior who would go where others would not go, who would step out in a field against a giant in the courage that could only come from his devotion to God and his people. God sees what is in people. He sees what's, what's in there. He sees what's inside the person. Think about it. Think about what God sees. And when he looks at us, think about what he sees in you and me. Before we we hesitate and think, there are things I don't want God to see in me, think about what he sees. He sees the good that is in you. He sees the good that you may not always be able to express to other people. He sees the good that may not be obvious to so many others around us. He sees the good that was in us. You think about that young man who came to Jesus, that young ruler in Mark 10, when that young ruler came to him looking for eternal life. And Jesus called on him to to keep the law, observe the commandments. And the young man says, I've kept these from my, my youth onward. And it says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He knew what was in this young man. He knew what was in his character. He knew what kind of young man this was. Yes, the man had his failings, and he saw that as well. For God also sees the things that we would like to hide. Do you ever think about that that final Passover meal with Jesus and his disciples, the one we call the Last Supper? And that Judas was there? And when, and when the Lord said, there'll be one of you that's going to betray me, and the, they began to say, is it I, is it I, is it I? Even Judas, even Judas who knew what he had done, who knew what he was going to do, and knew what was involved, still said, is it I? And the Lord said, it's like you said. He knew what was in Judas' heart all along. God sees the things that we would like to hide from him and keep separate from him. But he sees the strengths, the things that we can do best. He sees the weaknesses and the things that we struggle with. I think about Simon Peter, who's the one who's so quick to say, Lord, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in the next breath says, Lord, don't don't even think that's going to happen to you. Peter had strengths and he had weaknesses, and we see them come out in his character. He also sees the sin in us, the things that we might like to hide Things that others never do see in us. In that interesting story in Matthew 9 where the young man is brought to Jesus on a bed, carried to him, he's he's paralyzed. And he comes to Jesus brought by others. Lowered down, we find in one of the accounts, lowered down through the ceiling. 
And the young man is right in front of Jesus, and it's obvious what he needs. It's obvious what his friends want. It's obvious that this young man is longing for a healing to give him back legs to walk again. And Jesus looks at the young man and says, your sins are forgiven. Catching the attention of everyone there, what more did he need than that? Or what did he need more than he needed that was, would be a better way of saying it, isn't it? Jesus knew what he needed. Yes, he healed him and gave him legs again, but above all, he needed the forgiveness. He sees the sin and he sees the need that's in there. And he sees within us the potential, the potential that we may not even see ourselves. We may not have even dared to address in our lives. The Lord God sees the potential that is in us, the things that we would shove aside, the things that that cause us fear, the things that we hesitate to even consider. He sees it in us and challenges us to take him on again, that rich young man. Go sell, give to the poor, and come follow me. You see, God sees our lives. He sees us, as in the story of the great judgment seat, and the left and the right, and the sheep and the goats. They didn't know. When he said, said to each side, you, you fed, you, you visited, you took care of, or you didn't do this. And each one is saying, when did we do this, or when did we not do it? In Matthew 25. He sees it. He knows what we do and what we don't do. He knows what's in our heart and what we push out of our heart. God sees us for all that we are. And he sees what is needed. God sees what is needed. If you look at the text again and you go back to Abraham and you go back to David, God knew what Abram would need to be what he was calling on him to be. He knew what he would need and what the world would need from him. It would need a place. It would need a land for, to establish his people. And ultimately, the land to promise the Can- land of Canaan was going to be their place. And there are figurative applications that come to us as well, I understand. But he needed a place and a land to establish his people. He would need courage and trust. And there would need to be descendants, a nation, a people to accomplish what he had before him. And he would need the Lord to participate with him because he would need what the Lord would supply along the way, the participation of God and his power every step of the way. And if you look at David, God knew what Israel would need from David and what, and what David would need from God. For he looks at David and he sees that shepherd's heart, so much like the heart of God. That's what what we find there in Acts 13, is is we're told he, he found one who had a heart like his own. And he would need that courage, that courage to take the field literally and figuratively, to stand up to whatever would come his way, to stand against giants in the field and giants within himself. And David would need the resiliency to come back when his own weaknesses and failures turned him away. If you read through that 51st Psalm, you recognize how powerful God's redemption is and how important it was to David to find it there. God sees what's needed. And see, you and I, we need to recognize that God sees what you need in your life. 
He knows what you need in your life. There are daily physical necessities that you need in your life. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. God knows you have need of these things. He talked about the flowers that grow and the birds that toil. And he says, they take care of life and move on. God provides for them and he provides for you. Are you any less than they? He knows the daily physical needs that you have in your life. There's no doubt about it. God has never asked you to to surrender those or give those away. He knows you have need of those in your life. But he also knows the spiritual needs that you have in your life as well. and, And that he supplies as well. What is it that Peter says, 2 Peter 1? That he has given to us all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us what we need. That doesn't mean we always have every answer ready, ready to use, ready to throw out there, every answer to every question that might arise in our minds at any point in our lives. But he has supplied every spiritual need that we have in our lives. And there's the love. He supplied the love. He even sees the need of that love. For God so loved the world. We find there in John 3 that powerful passage that may seem overused at times, but there is none that expresses it so greatly as that one does. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sees the need of love. We need that testimony of love to us. We need the confidence that it brings to our lives. We need the optimism that it says before us. We need the the progress that it leads us to. He sees the need of love. And God takes care of it. When he sees it, he does what is needed. Several years ago, a friend came in telling me a story about seeing something in the street one day, and he realized the traffic was stopped, and he couldn't figure out what was going on. Then he realized there was a a, a van blocking the intersection, and people were beginning to gather around the van. He, too, got out of his car, and he went to see what was going on. It didn't appear that there was an accident there, but, but people were knocking on the windows of the van, trying the doors, and they wouldn't open. And he was trying to, they were trying to figure out what was going on. People were there, and inside you could see a young woman slumped over the steering wheel. And people trying to, but they couldn't get the doors to open, and seconds were passing. And nobody knew, was she alive or a dead inside, it seems. But she wasn't responding. And he said, I said, has anybody called 911? And not a single person had, and he pulled out his phone. And just a few moments, the fire department and the police were there. The doors were opened, and they were taking care of the young man that was, a young woman that was there. Am I... My friend reminds me, sometimes we're running around banging on the windows, but we don't know exactly what to do. But I want you to know, God knows. God sees the need. God knows what is needed. But even more, even more, not only does he know where we've been and what we have and what is within us, not only does he see where we are and what we're doing and what we've got going for us, He sees what can be or will be in the future. This is not from a Dickens story. This is not about a Christmas carol and visiting those Christmases yet to be. But if you look at the text, if you remember what we read a few moments ago, 
Abram was to become. His name is even later changed to Abraham, the father of a great nation, with the prospect in there. He was to be an inheritor, an inheritor of a land that he would, his family would have ultimately down the road. He would have a recognized name. Anyone who reads the Bible today, and many who don't, still recognize the value of the man Abraham and what he stands for. He has a recognized name in his own time. They even referred to him as a prince among his people. And God calls him a father of a great nation. It's not talking about world power here. It's not talking about their their place on the stage and world politics, but he's talking about the influence that was going to shape the thinking of the world. He would be the father of a great nation and ultimately a blessing to the whole world. It was through him and through his lineage. It was through his direct lineage that we would find the one, the one person, the one man, the one that would be on that cross. It's in that line that the blessing of all mankind is brought to bear through Abraham. And then there was David. David was to be the man of valor. The first king had had his strengths, but he had had his true failures, and they needed something more. They needed a warrior who could stand up against the odds against them, but they needed more. They needed a man whose valiant heart would bring the power of the nation under God and to God's people. There's no doubt that David had a devotion to God. Strengths and weaknesses all included. David had a devotion and a love for God. You can't read his addresses to God, his pleadings to God, and his praises of God without recognizing, recognizing David had a great love for God. God saw in each case what these men could be. And that's what God looks upon each of us with an eye to what we can become. For as the Lord looked upon some lowly fishermen, he saw that they could become great apostles and messengers, fishers of men, Mark tells us in chapter 1. He looked on that man, Saul of Tarsus, and all his education, all his standing in society, all his place in the government, the politics, And the power of his people. He looked upon him, the one who was persecuting, who was leading the charge against the Lord and against his people. And he saw in him the great link and messenger to the Gentile world and even to you and me. The Lord has seen abusers, murderers, drunks, atheists, He's seen those who ultimately reject his word for a time. He's seen every kind of vile sinner that we can imagine and some we can't even bring to our imagination. God has seen them all, but he sees what they can become. He saw in a simple Samaritan woman an opportunity to change the lives of many as he asked for a drink of water by a well. He saw in a sinner who was brought before him as he rode in the dust one day. An opportunity to teach a great lesson of humility to some who thought they were far above people such as that woman. 
He's seen them all. He's seen them with their weaknesses. He's seen their failures. He's seen their mistakes. He's seen so much through the ages and things we wouldn't even want to begin to describe or even begin to enter our mind and think about. But God has seen them all, and he's changed people. The lives of people have been changed because God saw what they could become. And we need to make it personal. We need to make it very personal. For he sees what you can yet become. Not what you've already become. There's no taking from that. There's no taking from the accomplishments that we've made it to this point and where we are today. And I know who and what I'm talking to. And I take this very personal. I hope you do too. That God sees what we can become no matter what point we are in our lives. Whether we're just beginning our physical human lives or whether we're well advanced in our years, God sees what we can yet become. He sees what you can become. Where you are now is not where you have been. And where you are now is not where you have to be in the future. You've not always been where you are today. In fact, we are transitory at best. What we are yet to become is something yet to see. While I think John was probably talking about eternal life, the spiritual life in 1 John 3, he did say it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. I think we look at little children today and we wonder what they will become. Why not look at our own mirrors at whatever stage in life we are? Why not look at our own mirrors and say, what can yet become of me? God sees what we can yet be. He sees not only the things that brought you to where you are. He can also see where you can go in your life. I think about Moses from time to time in those 40-year spans in his life. He should have died when he was a baby, but he didn't. His parents preserved him. Ultimately, those first 40 years were years of, of learning so many special things that would be useful down the way. And then when it became an outcast and a shepherd, he learned so much of the wilderness. He learned so much of shepherding. He learned so much of being outside the box. And when those 40 years came to an end and the Lord called him to something else, who would have thought that this 80-year-old man, who would have thought that this man who was an outcast, who would have thought this man who probably should have died when he was yet a baby, who would have thought this man would come and face the Pharaoh of Egypt and lead a nation for 40 years to a new home? God sees what you and I can be. In the parallel accounts and Matthew 8, and the parallel accounts of that of the poor, wretched man. Luke 8, Mark 5. The wretched man who was an outcast of society, tormented by demons, who people didn't want to have anything to do with.
a danger to others and maybe even to himself, Jesus saw in him an opportunity. And his life was changed. And it's interesting that in the end when the man wants to go away with Jesus now in his right mind, Jesus said, no, you go home and tell those at home the great things God has done for you. Who would have thought? And that's exactly what he did. God could see what even he could be. I'll leave you with this thought. God sees you, and he sees me. We have a God who sees and knows all about us. We don't need to fear that he can see those things. For he sees and knows not only your past and your present, but he knows your future and what you can be when you place it in his hands. We'll sing a song of encouragement this morning. Maybe there's someone who needs to respond. God has provided you the greatest opportunity in Christ Jesus. He's given you the only hope and salvation that there is. And if you need to respond to the Savior this morning, we would encourage you, please, to do so. The opportunity is yours. The blessing is ours to share it with you. And maybe, maybe then you recognize how blessed it is to be in the sight of God. If someone needs to respond this morning, please do so while we stand and while we sing together.